Hey everyone, welcome. This is Lucas Granger, lead pastor of Coastal Church. It is our hope that you will find this podcast today challenging, inspiring, and practical as we seek to reach the world with the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. If you would, please open up to the book of Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, beginning with verse 35. Jesus is speaking And he says this, now Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area. He's teaching in the synagogues and he's announcing the good news about the kingdom. Now he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now he says this to his disciples. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray. Pray to the Lord who is in charge of the, of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the field. So here's this moment where Jesus is ministering. Things are happening. It's a wonderful, wonderful time. People are getting healed. He's going throughout all the land. He's teaching in the synagogues. I mean, more and more people are, are following Jesus. I mean, there, there's hope in it. And there's this moment, like, know this scene. Everything, all, all of this is going on. And Jesus looks out, but he sees the crowd. And, and, and it says, says here that, that they were just, they were confused. And, and they were like people that were in need of a shepherd. They were sheep without a shepherd. And in the original text here, it kind of gives even further this idea of like the people were faint. The people were worn out. The people were tired. They were like the sheep that like, man, they just did escape the wolf. Like they were doing everything like they just made it. It's the idea uh, that, that Jesus, when he looks out and he sees these people. Now, have you, have you ever came across someone where like you, you've seen them and like they just look worn out. Like have you ever seen like the new mom? Like, girl, you ain't slept in six weeks, right? And just like look, they look worn out and like you just moved with compassion. Or, or like you see someone that you haven't seen since high school and when you see him, you're like, dang bro, time has not been good to you. You're like, you need to, you need a nap, son, or something. Put some lotion on I don't know. Or have you seen someone that has been devastated and gotten hooked on drugs? And you see them, and you just see the look in their eyes, and you see what the drugs have done to their life. And there's a part of you that your heart, there's just, it just reaches out with compassion because you're like, I know this isn't who you're created to be. Man, you just look worn out. You look beat up. Look at what it has done to your life. I know this is who God has called you to be. And there's this moment where Jesus is looking out and he's seeing the crowd and they're worn out and they're tired and they're beat up and there's these sheep that, that, that like they, they, there's been no shepherd and they're just trying to make it. And he's like, listen, this isn't who I've called you to be. There's more. And it says that he had compassion on them. He's looking out. He's seeing. Um, I got to spend about three years of my life living in orphanages uh, in Indonesia. It was, it was in my early 20s. Um, kind of feels weird to say that, in my early 20s. 
<laughs> half of my life ago. Um, I, uh, I'm getting old, okay. And uh, so I, I lived in uh, multiple orphanages for a period of about three years, back and forth and different things. And um, man, uh, there would be moments, there would be days where like you would just be overwhelmed with the need. Like, literally, there would be hundreds of kids at different times. And you're kind of looking at the kids, and you're just like, where are your parents? What's happened? How, like, how did this many kids become orphaned? And how many, this many kids are just, like, sick or in need to go to the doctor or whatever it is? And, and I remember just that so many times, like, this moment, like, even with Jesus, just like, the harvest is full, like, but the laborers feel like we need more people in these orphanages. The kids need more of whatever it is. And I remember having this feeling and this like no matter what we did like there was always more need and like let, let's face it humanity like we are a needy people like not just like orphans in indonesia like you <laughs> me your spouse you're like as a whole like we are needy people like let the air conditioner break you know what i'm saying like, let you get a flat tire or have no food in the fridge or something. Like, right, man, we, like, come on. And, and, and so there, there's this, this moment, and I don't know if you've ever felt it, and I've talked about this a few weeks ago, but where, where the need can become overwhelming, and it just seems like, listen, no matter how much good we do, there's still so much more to do. And I could see that Jesus is doing everything. The good news is going out. The kingdom, the gospel is being spread. And yet he looks over and he sees a crowd of sheep without shepherd. He's like, like man, it, there's so much more to be done. And, and I love this moment because here is now a problem. Jesus is doing everything he can, and like, but there's, man, it's a great harvest. We need some more workers. How should we react? How does Jesus react? Well, first of all, I'll tell you how we react. Oftentimes, we'll react in two different things when we come across something that's overwhelming to us. One, we'll react in, okay, well, we'll just work harder, right? I've been working 50 hours a week. Well, now I'm just going to work 70 hours a week. Uh, we, we did this, and now we'll just do more, and we'll do more, and we'll, and we'll just work ourselves. Or the need will be just so great that we'll just give up. I was just like, oh, it's just too hard. There's too many kids. There's too many things that need to happen, too many people. And then we just, I, I just can't be, it's only, it's only me. It's not enough. And so we either work ourselves to death, or we give up. And yet here is this moment where Jesus is faced, and we want to see how he reacts to this situation of looking out. And so he does this. He says this. Listen, there's an assessment. The harvest is great, y'all. Like, it's easy pickings. But here's the problem. The laborers are few. And now this is what he says, very first thing. So pray. Pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Like the very first thing he says, listen, you're confronted with a circumstance, you're confronted with a moment where it could be overwhelming, where the need can be great. The first thing we need to do is what? Pray. Like, no, 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 hold on, wait, like, wait, hold on. There's all of these people. We need to go, we need to get some more workers. We need to get the resumes out there. We need to do, we need to do a telethon. We need to get all of this stuff in. Come on, Jesus. And just like, no, hold on. Before you do any of that, pray. Pray. Hey, we went to church this morning. What did we learn? Pastor said we just need to pray. Like, mind-blowing, right? But actually, it, it, it is. Because if we were to survey our lives, and if we were to look at how we react in moments like these, and, and, and please, if you're in here, and uh, I actually thought about bringing a big mirror this morning, because I'm not preaching at you, 
Like, I'm, I'm with you. I've never preached a sermon that I haven't needed to hear. And, and, and so, like, this whole idea of prayer, sometimes it's like, well, I've done everything I could do, and now all I can do is pray. Right? Like, I've said it. You've said it. Right? It's this idea, and it, and if, like, it's this idea that when it comes to prayer, it's kind of like the Hail Mary of life. Prayer is the, like, well, we've done, we've exhausted every option, we've done all we can do, and now we just pray, right? And it's just kind of like, well, nothing else. And, and, and it's like, okay. And that, my friends, is the problem. If we were to actually switch the order, see, the problem is we're doing last what is meant to go first. And if you put it first, everything else begins to line up. But whenever you put it last, all of a sudden it's like, well, hold on. Like, you got issues. We got problems in our marriage. Man, we just want our marriage to get better. Uh, so we're going to counseling. We're reading books. We're watching videos. We're doing all these things. It just ain't working. I guess we just need to pray. Here's an idea. How about pray and then go to the counseling and then read the books and then watch the videos? It changes everything. Seek first the kingdom of God. Like, it sounds crazy, but when we do this, it changes everything. When we, like, before, like, when you're overwhelmed at all these moments, listen, Jesus, the one who could have snapped his fingers, and like, but first of all, before we take another moment, just pray. Pray. Because the, the thing is, I wonder sometimes, like, when we just go to work on a thing, it's like, okay, I'm going to work 70 hours instead of the 50 what happens is, like, it produces short-term results. Like, it, your work is going to pay off. Like, things like you thing, and it, it could get a little bit better. And we've substituted for short-term results for long-term failure. Because there's a part of us that's like, but, but if I just pray, it doesn't feel like, can, can God be trusted? Can God be trusted with this, or do I trust more of my works and what I can do? And it boils down to that. And God said, listen, before you do anything, listen, pray first. If you ever baked a cake, there's pretty much three essential ingredients. And I'm not a baker, so if I get this wrong, just grace this morning. Uh, and uh, grace and peace. Um, so from my understanding, you, you need flour, you need water, and you need yeast. Flour, water, yeast is going to not be a very tasty cake, but you can get you a cake. But here's the thing, if you go to make this cake and you add the flour, what'd I say? It wasn't that funny. What was that? Okay, it was good. All right, I'll take it. What? Oh, bread. Okay, so we're making bread. I don't know this stuff. We're making bread now. Yeah. We should research these things, like doesn't say it. We're baking bread, people. Flour, yeast, water. You're messing up my point. If you just add the flour and the water, and you bake the cake, and you wait to the end, does it come bread? And then add the yeast, you're wondering why this thing didn't rise up. But you can't add the yeast at the end and expect the loaf of bread to be good. You've got to add the yeast at the beginning. And that's the way prayer works. 
You've got to get it at the very beginning. If you're only at it at the end, it's like, why hasn't anything I've been doing been working? Because first we've got to seek the Lord in prayer. First we've got to have his mind on the way that we see things. Because if we're not careful, we will look out to humanity. We will look out to the overwhelming need. We will look out. We will have compassion. But that compassion will only be seen through earthly eyes. It will not be seen through the Spirit. And so we're looking at it and we're saying, I, I, I don't know how I could fix this. I don't know how to do this. And Jesus says, I know you don't know how to do it. Even if you think you know how to do it, the truth is you don't know how to do it. Because if you see things only through earthly eyes, you will address them in an earthly manner. And Jesus, if you spend any five minutes with the brother, you realize his ways ain't our ways. He likes to do things that don't make sense the way that we like to do things. And so he'll address things from a totally different perspective. Oh, there's 5,000 people. All you guys, some bread, some fish, bring them in. That's enough. Hold on, that don't make sense. That's why you've got to pray. That's why you've got to know what is God saying in this situation? What is God doing in this moment? God, I need to know your heart. Because if I, I just can't just see it through natural eyes. Because with the natural eyes, yeah, there's nothing in me. I can't do it. I can't fix this situation. I can't fix this marriage. I can't fix my kids. I can't, God, I need to see in the spirit. Um, some of us like, think it's our job to be everybody's spiritual hall monitor, right? Like, very good at pointing out some specks in some other people's eyes. Now, I say this, and, and, and if you're a member of this church, this is definitely for you. Uh, this is for me. This is, this is just something I do. Anytime, like, there is an issue that I see in someone else's life that I feel like, hey, this is something that, that we need to address or whatever, I will never, never address that issue until I've sought the Lord in prayer. Because all I'm doing is I'm only seeing that issue for what it is on the outside. And okay, this person, they have this sin issue. This is what they're going on in their lives. And so I just want to address it from that. Instead of first, like, God, I've got to seek your heart. I, I need to know what you're doing in this situation. I need to know because just, just like that alcoholic, just like the drunk, I know that they're not. And God, before I address them, there might be a truth here. But if that truth is not spoken in love, and prayer does that. Prayer unites our hearts with God to say, like, I'm not just pointing out the thing, like, God, I want to speak the truth. I want to do it in love. I want to see them as you see them. Because right now, if all I see is a drunk, I'm going to address it as if it's just a drunk. So, God, I need, I need you. I need your spirit. I need to see what you're saying. And so Jesus says, listen, before we do anything, pray. Pray. It's not supposed to be the last step. It's supposed to be the first and I'm the first one to get up here and admit, Lord, forgive me for making it the last step. God, forgive me. I repent. Lord, I, I want first and foremost, like, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm the type A guy that's just like, okay, let's get to work. You know, let's just go out there and like, help me slow down, Jesus. Help me to have your heart. I mean, help me to have your mind. Help me to just pray and seek you on this. So here's where it gets interesting. So Jesus says this. Listen, pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers. So he's addressed the need. So we're going to pray. This is the need. This one needs to be addressed. In chapter 10, please don't put it on the screen. But the next thing Jesus does is he calls his 12 disciples together, gives them authority, and then sends them out. Like, did you catch that? Jesus has just said, hey, I'm going to teach you how to pray. There's a need. There's a problem. And so what do I have? Well, I've got these 12, and then he sends them away. 
See, so often I think we want to address matters and issues from our lack of what we don't have. And what Jesus is saying, you need to assess what you do have. You've been praying prayers and you've been expecting someone else to answer them. And God's saying, you're part of that solution. But we're like, oh, hold on. The multitudes are great. What can I do? Could you imagine if Jesus was like, man, look at all these multitudes. Look at all these people. Oh, we've only got 12. 12's not enough. With 12 people, we can't change the world. With 12 people, we can't feed the multitude. With 12 people, we can't help all of humanity. 12 is not enough. 12, we can't even make a dent in the crowd. Look at all of these sheep in need of a shepherd. There's only 12. It's not enough. Or is it? Or is it? See, I think Jesus teaches us. He says this prayer, and then he assesses what is in his, his hands right now. And he says, okay, well, I got 12. All right, we're going to be a part of this solution. We're going to do what we can with what we got. See, I think when we spend our time complaining about our lack, we will miss and we will forget the power that God has given us. If we spend all of our time focusing on what we don't have, we'll fail to realize what we do have. And I'm here to tell you what you do have is the power of the living God who raised from the dead is living inside of you. There is resurrection power in you. Come on. See, like there's this moment where Peter says, listen, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have, I give thee in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. I, I got to tell you, I have a great fear in the church that that has become the complete opposite. We've got silver, we've got gold, but we just don't have any power. And what the world needs and what the church needs is the power of Jesus Christ. Money ain't going to get it done. Money's not a problem for Jesus. We treat it like it is. He owns it all. And if we only focus on our lack, man, like I got to tell you, like, there's, there's nobody in here that wants a new building more than me, right? Man, getting here at 6 in the morning and setting all this up, like, listen, it's been 10 years. It'll be nice. But I'm going to be faithful with what we do have. We as a church are going to be faithful with what we do have. And I've, we've seen the progress. This church started in a living room with just a couple people that moved into the bar of a bowling alley. That moved from the bar of a bowling alley into a battery shop. And now we're in a senior center. Come on, son. I mean, that's what the Lord does. I don't know, like, I don't know what's next. I don't know, but God, I just want to be a part of what you're doing. And, and yeah, we want, but God, we'll be faithful what we have. And so if we only have 12, I'm believing you could change the world with the 12. God, if we just have a few people in the room, God, no what? I just put it in your hands. And God, whatever we put in your hands, God, you just have a way of taking some fish and some bread and just making, well, what you do out of it. That you would get the glory, God, because our prayer and our focus and our attention is on you. Jesus took the 12. He just gave it. He invested everything he could in these guys. Could you imagine if Jesus was like, but if I sent them out, what if, what if, what if they don't come back? If I sent the 12 out, what if they start doing all these things that I'm doing and they're healing the sick and they're preaching the gospel? What if more people start following them than start following me? It sounds crazy, but yet... How often is that the way that we live? I, I, I don't want to give away what I do have because what if I'm then left alone? What, what, if, what, if, what if 
something else works out and they don't come back, there's no way that you would ever see Jesus saying this. Jesus is saying, like, let me show you how it works. We're going to send out 12 now. It's only going to be a little bit later. We're going to be actually sending out 72. Like, he's like, Jesus just, it's, it's not the capacity of the room that's success. It's the capacity of the sending that's the success. It's the capacity of, okay, God, man, we are people that are mobilized and moving and doing what you have called us to do. That's the number that matters. And Jesus is doing this. He has this, this mindset of like what I would just call open hands. And, and too often, I think, we get caught up with closed hands. And, and we close our hands because God's put something in them, and we're so afraid to lose what God's given us, that we hold on so tight that I don't, I don't know, I don't want to let this go. The thing is, we're holding on so tight, there's no room for God to add anything else. And, and the only way to live, really, is just open hand of, okay, guys, there's a problem. I've got 12, just you guys go. I, I've, I've learned this, like, poverty has nothing to do with your bank account. Poverty has nothing to do with the amount of money that's in your wallet. Poverty is a mindset. I have seen some of the richest people that are poor. And I've seen some of the poorest people that are rich. Paul says it too. He says, listen, I could have nothing and yet possess everything. And you could have everything and possess nothing. And the key to it is an open hand. The key to it is, God, what you've given me, I give back to you. It's all yours. You could have it. Everything. I got to tell you, there is no better way to live than this. God, my family is in your hands. My marriage is in your hands. My kids, my finances, this church. Like this church right now, guys, we have eight pastors. I love the fact that sometimes I'll talk to different guys and they'll say, man, aren't you kind of afraid to have so many pastors in a small church that, like, there'll be, one of the pastors will try to take over or, like, there'll be a church split? And I'm like, not at all. I've never had that fear. As a matter of fact, I keep telling these guys, like, when are you going to put another campus, Jim? Like, like, it's the sending. It's like we're doing this together. We, we all need each other. And, and to live with that, like, there's no fear. Because if, if God blows it up and it's good or he blows it up, like, it's still his. God, it's in your hands, everything, my whole life, open hands. And we'll never have what he truly wants for us if we just hold on. See, I think the root of it is this underlining belief, this underlining idea that what we have now is what we'll always have. And so we're afraid to give because we have a fear that, well, if I'll be left with nothing. And then this is it. It can never happen like this again. And God's like, but that's it. There's no more room for anything else. I'm asking the worship team to come back up. I'm asking everyone to please stand to your feet. I want to continue this message in a few weeks because I actually want to give you, there's five things. I gave you two this morning. The first one is prayer. When we're, when we're faced with humanity, when we're stepping out, to seek first the kingdom of God. To seek him first. The second thing is to approach it with an open hand. I know there's a problem. I've just got 12. You guys go. Whatever it is. What, what is it that maybe we've been holding on to? 
too tight because God, I tell you, he wants to fill it with so much more. I want to tell you a story as we close. It was 1989, and there was a tribute, and that tribute uh, was honoring Sammy Davis Jr. Sammy Davis Jr., if you don't know, he was this incredibly talented man, and one of his talents, and the man could just tap dance, and he was a man, just beautiful, beautiful tap dancer, and uh, there was a tribute for him, and had just came out, Sammy Davis Jr. had just found out that he had terminal cancer. And so they're there, and the house is packed. There's literally thousands of people in the house to honor Sammy Davis Jr. And uh, he had a, a protege, someone that he had been mentoring, pouring into for a number of years. That man's name is Gregory Hines. Some of you may know him. Gregory Hines, just incredible. And so Gregory Hines gets up there in front of the stage, and Sammy Davis is sitting on the front row, and Gregory Hines just begins to tap dance. And he's dancing, and he's just paying this beautiful, beautiful tribute to his mentor. Just, he just begins to dance for Sammy. And as he's d- doing this dance, he gets to the very end of the dance, and he dances over to Sammy, who's sitting on the front row. And he has this move where he just kind of falls into the arms of Sammy Davis Jr. As an expression, just to kind of say, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. And at this moment, when he falls into his arms, the crowd just like erupts with applause. The, around, the crowd is just standing on their feet, and it's just such a, a wonderful, wonderful moment. And then something happened that no one expected to happen. Sammy called for somebody to bring him his shoes. Now, at this point, he was already weak. He was already going through some of the treatments. And uh, he put on his shoes, and he began to dance for the audience. And the audience watched, and they listened. They heard Sammy Davis Jr. And it was just this awe-inspiring moment because the audience knew this is the last time that we're ever going to see him dance. And the crowd applauded. The night was over. And it wasn't too much longer till Sammy Davis Jr. passed away. And when he passed away, there was his funeral, and Gregory Hines gets up there, and he was doing a eulogy, and he begins to tell a story, and he tells about that night of the tribute with Sammy. And he says, I I know everyone, that was the last time you thought that Sammy danced, but actually he danced one more time. Gregory Hines tells the story of he went to visit him in the hospital room. And as he was laying there in that bed, just shriveled up and IVs in his arms, Gregory Hines began to dance for Sammy. No crowd, nobody else, just him and his mentor. And he just danced and danced and danced. When it was over, he went and just sat down beside his friend. And Sammy Davis Jr. took his frail body and he pushed himself out of the bed. And Gregory was like, no, 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 stop. And Sammy wouldn't hear it. And he took the IVs out of his arms. He put shoes on his feet and he just began to dance for Gregory Hines. And he danced and he danced. And then Gregory said, he did something at the end of his dance that I had never seen him do before. He said, he, said he got to the end, and he did this move where he, I was standing there, and, and he just began to go like this. 
And he said, he, he, he just did it over and over as if to say, everything I have is yours. You take it. You run with it. You dance for me. And I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus has done that for us. He is resurrected from the grave. He has given us this mission. And yes, he's saying everything I have, these things you will do and greater. Like there, the, the spirit of God is living inside of you. The hope for humanity is Jesus Christ. And everything I have, I give you. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. Let's pray. Jesus, God, you've given us such a great mission to go to make disciples to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts. And God, yeah, it's, it's a little overwhelming. Lord, I thank you that you've modeled it for us. God, that we could come and we could seek you. We could get your mind and your heart and with open hands, we could reach this world. God, because you are the way, you are the truth, and you are the life. And God, you've poured out your spirit on your sons and your daughters. And you've seen us when we're at our worst. You've seen us when you've looked out of the crowd and we are broken and hurt and beat up and in need of a savior. And you've never failed us. He who has begun a good work will see it through. And so, God, we're not giving up. Our hope is not in our strength. Our hope is in you. When everything looks dark, God, your light shines our path. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you would like to explore more resources just like this, take a moment and download the Coastal Church app. Also, if you would like to give financially to support the ministry here at Coastal, go to mycoastalchurch.com slash giving. God bless and have a wonderful week.